0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Well, this morning we are going to be talking about King Josiah. And the uh, text is from Second Kings 22 and 23. But before we get into the actual text, I'm going to show you some pictures of very famous people. And as you view these people, I want to ask you the question, how do you remember them? How do you remember them? You know, for all their... And how do I get the black, guys? Do I have to call it out? Okay, sorry. Can I get that blacked out then? You know, for all of these people's weaknesses, shortcomings, or faults, they're generally remembered as revolutionaries, right? Uh, people who change the world around them in a profound way. We admire them. We want to be like them. We look up to them. There's history classes made just about them and what they did. But if we were to ask them what made them so different, I doubt that you would really hear them talk about themselves or their traits or their characteristics. I doubt if we had a chance to talk to Martin Luther King or Abraham Lincoln, they would say, and if we had the chance to ask them, what what was so different about you? I don't think they would say, you know what? I think at the end of the day, it was my courage. I really think I was just probably just so much more courageous than the rest of these jerks in this country. And I I just did something because of my courage. We're not going to hear that. I think in all of these people, they began with very ordinary lives. They were woken by a call and they were living under the grips of a vision. They saw something that the rest of us couldn't see. But that vision of what they saw and what, it, what life was supposed to be like so gripped them that it changed their lives. You know, Martin Luther King began as a pastor. He was woken by the call to take leadership in the civil rights movement. And then he was driven by a vision. And that vision is kind of typified in this statement here. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. That vision, that dream so gripped him that he couldn't be different. And then if we were to go to the other end of the spectrum with someone like Steve Jobs, he worked at Atari. He was gripped by what personal computers could be to people. And that just so captivated him that it drove him, this vision. And here's what Steve Jobs says. That's been one of my mantras, focus and simplicity. Simple can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple. And if you've ever bought an Apple product, that's everything, right? The packaging to the instructions to if you open the back, it's simple complex and focused, but that vision so gripped him. I think the struggle for you and I today, as we live our lives, is that we're no longer driven by a vision. We're not gripped by something anymore. You know, for you moms who stay at home, I know you wake up some mornings and you think, what am I going to do with these kids for 9, 10 hours today? Oh, dear God, help me. I don't have any food for them. I don't know what's the plan for lunch. I know I have to stop at Costco somehow. And what? where can I take them to pass the time so that dad gets home and I don't have to deal with them anymore? You've lost your vision when you first held these kids of what they could be under Jesus' control and rule. You know, for those of us who work in the workplace and Monday morning comes and you hit the alarm and you're just you're on the, the metro or whatever transportation, you're thinking to yourself, I, I just can't do this anymore. This job is draining the life out of me. This is not what I was called to. I feel called to something else. We've lost our vision from jumping into a, a you know, some classes that we liked and enjoyed. And we thought, I think I can make a difference with this career. I think maybe God could use me to do something in this field. And we've lost our vision. And I think that happens in even the most noble professions. It was funny uh, when I was a a teacher um, and I would talk to somebody who is in corporate and they would say, oh, what do you do? And I'd say, oh, I'm a teacher. And they go, man, that's like so awesome, man. You get to like affect kids every day and like change the course of their lives. And I, and I was thinking, oh yeah, I, I guess that's what I do. Because I was just so lost in the daily, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this student today? And how many papers do I have to fill and how many evaluations? And for those of us who may be married, we were once bitten by that love bug. We wanted to commit our lives to someone. And do you remember the vision for those of you who took vows? Listen, for better, for worse, in sickness, in health, till death do us part. I mean, it can't get more powerful than that vision. Love without strings. Love with total commitment. You know, one of our CG members who will remain unnamed but was single, we were talking about marriage and she goes, Um, the ultimate picture of romance to me is being kissed in the rain. And and those of us who are married just kind of laughed and we thought, you know, now X amount of years into marriage, what we're thinking is we're going to have to wash those clothes. Somebody's going to have to do the laundry and I'm not doing it this time, dang it, because I've done it so many times. And you know what? With all your kissing in the rain, somebody's gonna get sick and I'm gonna be stuck watching all these kids. <laughs> you know, we've lost our vision of marriage like what God created it to be. What should I expect of it? And even in our pursuit of Jesus, we're more fixated on this Did I sin or did I not? Did I sin or did I not? Oh my gosh, did I sin or did I not? Oh, he's going to get me so bad for this sin. Did I pray today? Did I read the Bible today? We're so fixated on that rather than our initial encounter with Jesus that drove us to discipline and away from sin and captivated us with this vision of life lived for Christ. Well, today we'll be looking at the life of King Josiah. The pronouncement regarding King Josiah's life was this, 2 Kings 22, two, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David, his father, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. But why and how? And you're going to see today as we Talk and have time together. I don't want to take away from King Josiah because we're going to find out that his character was great. But instead, I want to turn to the God behind King Josiah and who that God was and how that God captivated Josiah in such a way that this was the pronouncement over his life. Well, that being said, there are three points today. We're going to go into a little bit of background. Number two, we're going to talk about Josiah's story, and lastly, we're going to hit our story. With that being said, I'd like for you to open your Bibles or your phones to First, uh, sorry, Second Kings chapter 22. Second Kings chapter 22. And we're going to read uh, Second Kings chapter 22, and I think it's important for us to read through the story of this king. I'm reading from the NIV, so if your version is different, then just uh, follow along. Chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign... King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and and the masons. Also, have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple, but they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they're acting faithfully. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, and Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, the priest, uh, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah the king's attendants, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Esaiah went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who was the wife of Shelem, son of Tikva, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all their idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would be become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. I wanted to read that. I know that was a long chapter, but I really believe that there is power in reading the word of God fully, completely the way through. But let's, let's go ahead back to the slides. We've been looking at the lives of historical Kings from the Bible. You know, these slides span, or sorry, these Kings span 400 years of Israel's history. And we've talked about them. Pastor Jared, Pastor Frank spoke about them already. Now, most of us know King David, right? And then David had a son named, okay, let's try it again. David had a son named, right. But then after that, it gets really fuzzy, right? There's king upon king and upon king. But what we don't sometimes uh, forget that because of Solomon's disobedience, Israel was divided into two parts, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And so King Josiah was a king in Judah. Now, this spans 400 years of history. Josiah was a king of Judah, and just a couple things about Josiah. 2 Kings 22, one says he was eight years old when he began to reign. His father, Amon, and his grandfather, Manasseh, were among the most wicked kings of Judah. Yet the thing about Josiah was he was devoted to God at a young age. Look at what it says here. In Second Chronicles 34.3, which also tells his story, it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. How old was he? Oh, smart. He was 16. When he was 16, he turned to the Lord and began to follow the ways of God. Now we're going to fast forward to his 18th year of rule. So how old is he? Yes, 26. On an ordinary day in the kingdom, he asked his secretary, Shaphan, his governor, Messiah, and his recorder, Joah, to bring money to continue the repairs on the temple. And now we're going to get into Josiah's story. I want to break it down into three aspects of Josiah's story that I want to point out. First, the word of God invaded when he wasn't expecting it. It says this, 2 Kings 22, 8 through 10. I'm not going to read that whole thing, but this is what we just read, right? It wasn't like Josiah was trying to find God more, but the word of God invaded when he was in, wasn't expecting it. The book of the law that they're talking about there was probably the book of Deuteronomy Pro, uh, you know, portions of that book of Deuteronomy. And if you haven't read Deuteronomy recently as part of your bedtime reading, it really is Moses' last speech to the Israelites. Moses is telling them, you guys, you have to live this way for God. Live this way. And here's the results of obedience to God. And here's the results of disobedience to God. Ironically, Shaphan, the secretary, comes up to Josiah and says, Uh, Hilkiah has given me a book. I mean, that itself just shows the spiritual condition of the land of Israel. Nobody knew even what this book was. It was Moses' book. And he said, he's given me a book. Maybe you should check it out. Josiah's story, the second thing. The word of God woke him to life. In verse 11, it says this. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. You know, if you can imagine the word of God waking him to life, the vision of God when Shaphan read this to Josiah was just so shocking to him. Um, He's reading about his wrath, his holiness, his commands, his rewards, the blessings and the consequences, and he responds in the most pronounced way. He, he tears his robes out of just shock. If you can imagine the shock of Shaphan, the secretary, you know, if he's reading Deuteronomy chapter six and, 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 you know, just play along with me here. I'm reading Deuteronomy chapter six, just pretending that I'm Shaphan, the secretary. Hear, O Israel... The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. (laughs) Love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart. Ah! and all your soul and all your. I mean, can you imagine Shaphan reading this Deuteronomy and Josiah just tearing, weeping on the floor? The word of God woke him. It woke him up from a spiritual slumber that had settled over the whole country. And lastly, in Josiah's story, the word of God renewed his vision. Now, if you open up your Bibles to chapter 22, you don't have to do it right now. But if you look at chapter 23, verses 4 through 20, it describes all the things that Josiah went and did after he heard this. Some of the things he did, he burned poles and idols that were, you know, set up in the, in the land. He broke them down. He brought priests of these idols out of the cities of Judah. I mean, he, he brought everybody out. He burned things. He broke things down. He has been king for 16 years, right? That's what you guys told me. It wasn't like this was brand new to him. I mean, he had seen it going on for 16 years. And he just kind of let it slide for whatever reason it was. But for some reason, when the word of God was preached or spoken, it renewed his vision. It changed him. And do you think the people were okay with this? I mean, the people who created these poles and these idols, I mean, this is their livelihood. This is how they make a living. This is how they make ends meet. And this, king is now coming and coming and breaking things down, tearing things apart, burning things, kicking priests out of the country. People are not happy about this, but the word of God gripped Josiah in such a way that he took the risk, that the risk was worth it to him. Let's look what else he does. It says this, this is in chapter 23. He stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. The new vision reminds him and uh, that he and his people belong to God. And so he renews the covenant between the people and God. He says, you know what, guys? God is our king and he has a rightful rule and ownership over us. That's the story of Josiah the king. You know, again... I don't want to take anything away from Josiah because God actually says this about Josiah in 2 Kings. Because your heart was penitent, you humbled yourself, you tore your clothes, you wept before me. Those are the things that God commends him for, and that's notable. Yet my emphasis is not on Josiah because I think there's another hero of the story. Josiah is rightly commended as king, but if we focus on him, I don't think it's going to give us the resources to change. I mean, I think if we ended the sermon right now, you would walk home and you'd go, yeah, okay, I guess I know a little bit about Josiah and he was a good guy and he did a lot of crazy things because God's word changed him. But I don't think that's going to affect you where you're at right now. Talking more about Josiah is not going to get you and I out of a spiritual rut. Talking more about Josiah is not going to help us see God clearly in a way that's going to change our lives and grip us again. And so with that being said, I want to talk about the hero of the story of Josiah. And going into the last point, our story. It says this in John chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5, In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now we're introduced to the very word of God in flesh. And I'm going to talk about our story in this way. Jesus, the word, invades our lives when we aren't expecting and where we aren't wanting. I've shared this story many times, but just very briefly. Um, in 1999, my senior year of college at U of I, uh, I was entering it, and I was bent on going out in a blaze of glory. I wanted U of I to remember me. I mean, I I, I wanted to go down as, you know, infamous in U of I history for what I had done. And I was bent, and I was actually doing a pretty good job that fall semester 1999. And so now fall semester ends, and um, winter break rolls around, and I get a job at uh, Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and by that time, I, I had a, a already signed my contract with Accenture, and I just thought I was the stuff, man. I mean, working at Abercrombie and Fitch with an Accenture contract in my back pocket. Gee. And uh, that that winter break, my, my parents' church um, had a, a, a national youth conference, and I was in no way interested in going to that conference. You know, um, my best friend at the time uh, called me up, uh, and he was like, hey, you want to go to the conference? And I was like are you kidding me, dude? Me go to the conference? That's not for me, man. And so, you know, and, and I had an excuse. I said, I'm working at Abercrombie, dude, this whole winter break. So anyways, the night before the conference, I get my Abercrombie schedule and I was off the three days of the conference. I was so upset. I was like, I took this winter break to work and make some money and they've got me off these three days. So I call my best friend up and I said, listen, I don't have to work now. Uh, what's what's the deal with this conference? And he goes, Bob, just come. Let's play basketball. I was like, I'm there. So I called the conference, you know, registrants up the the night before. They're in a committee meeting or whatever, and I say, Hey, I want to come to the conference. And it was like one of those, you want to come to the conference? And I was like, Yeah, I want to come to the conference. What's the deal? And so uh, the person got off the phone, and they had to have a a. a Conference meeting to see whether they would allow me to come. So they called me back and they allowed me to come to the conference, and I was like, I'm there. The first night of the conference, I'm sitting there with one of these kind of older brothers who's been there forever, and I'm telling him, Hey man, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm doing it. This is what I'm doing, and I'm not here to change. I'm here to play basketball. And he was like, Bob, you got to change. That's not the way to live life. And the first day of the conference went, second day of the conference went, the third day of the conference, I was the guy in the, in the last row, third day of the conference, everyone singing their worship songs, I always sat down, you know, let the emotional crazies just be crazy. I sat down, and they were just singing some song, I don't even know what the song was, but holy cow. Ca- I just remember crying and I just could not stop crying because I realized I was a sinner. God was holy and I had offended him the way that I was living. I just, I, I could not. And I was trying to hide it so bad because I had a reputation to keep up. I could not stop crying. And people noticed and they were coming up to me, putting their, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. By the end of the night, I knew something happened and they had an open mic. And, uh, I got up there and I said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying here, but I need people to help me. Like, I just need your help. Um, and some people actually thought I was making a mockery of the whole scene because they knew who I was. But I was never the same from that point on. And just like in Josiah's story, he, Jesus invades our lives when we aren't expecting. You know, just like Shafin the secretary, you and I are now seeing the living word, and we just can't even recognize him sometimes anymore. We can't see God's amazing grace. We forget that that story that I just told you is our story. At some point, God woke you up. You didn't go to a retreat or a conference and going, today is the day I become a Christian. Dang it. Check. God gripped you when you weren't expecting it. And he took you. And we forget that in the day and day out of life. And you know, sometimes when we aren't expecting it, that's when we need to see him again. One of the things that I really love about HCC over the last few years is that I really believe that more and more as we come to these Sunday worships, we're actually expecting God to do something. I feel like we come with a sense of expectation more and more of us. And while that's great. It's also a reminder to us: Are you expecting God in the ordinary, dull moments of life? Do you realize that He's invading when you aren't expecting? Are you Are you expecting Him in the get out the bowl of cereal and feed the kids moments of life anymore? This is what Oswald Chambers uh, says. Uh, my utmost for his highest still one of my favorite devotionals. And he says this in January 25th, do not look for God to come in any particular way, but look for him, expect him to come, but do not expect him only in a certain way. However much we may know God, the great lesson to learn is that at any minute he may break in keep your life so constant in its contact with God that his surprising power may break out on the right hand and on the left. Always be in a state of expectancy and see that you leave room for God to come in as he likes. And I think the challenge for us today is, God, help me to see you invading my moments. You know, just like I said, he invades our lives when we aren't expecting, but he also invades our lives where we aren't wanting. This morning, maybe you're thinking about that relationship that has been broken. The issue between you and your spouse that is just going unsaid. The friendship that has lost its way. The secret sin on the side that you just think, well, God's okay with that. Jesus invades our lives where we aren't wanting. This is from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up the towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself what I want us to remember is that Jesus comes in to invade our lives when we aren't expecting and where we aren't wanting. I want you to ask yourself this morning, what are the areas of life that you just don't want him to bring up to you anymore? Is there anything that your hand with Christ is like this? Hold close fisted, you can't have that. I gave you so much already, God. What else do you want? What is that area of life of yours that's still close fisted? What's that area of life of yours where the darkness is still pervading? And you're like, God, I've been struggling with this for now 15, 16, 17 years. Can you do something, anything? Can you change me? And it says this, John chapter one, five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. As long as you and I are children of the king, the darkness has not overcome it. Second thing I want us to see, Jesus wakes us up to life. You guys know these people? In Lord of the Rings 2, Grima Wormtongue is introduced as the the advisor to King Theoden, uh, son of Rohan. We come to find out that Theoden is weakened by Grima Wormtongue. Grima is constantly by Theoden, whispering lies, weakening him, giving him poison to drink, and all the while, Theoden is being more and more overcome by Saruman. It's only after the arrival of Gandalf, the white wizard, that Grima is banished And Theoden, do you guys remember that scene? Where he slowly starts to come back to regular life. And I wonder this morning where Jesus needs to wake you up to life again. I wonder what lies you're believing this morning. And I call them common scripts. They're scripts that we tell ourselves every day. Without anybody checking, we just kind of say it to ourselves. And the more and more we say it, the more and more we are under the spell or the rule or the dominion of darkness. And the more and more we recite these scripts, the more and more difficult it is for us to believe anything else. What script do you commonly recite to yourself? I'm so alone in this world. Nobody gets me. What a lie that is if you are a son or daughter of the king. I'm not loved. Nobody loves me. I'm the victim here in this marriage. I'm the victim in this relationship. I'm the one that has to always have, always, it's always me. God is out to get me. I knew I shouldn't have sinned like 15 years ago in that way. I know it. It, it, I know it. This is why it's happening. It's because he's out to get me. He wants to tell me that he, he hasn't missed out on what I did. Maybe it's God's not trustworthy. Or this, this sin is not that bad. I give God like 98% of my life. And what, what's the big deal with this particular thing? I deserve this part, God. What's the script that you're telling yourself this morning? These are the scripts that nobody else knows about. Probably your most, most significant person in your life, your parents, your friends, they don't know about it. But you are telling yourself this script every day. For those of you with kids, you should ask your kids about their day and find out the scripts that your kids are believing. So this last week, Micah started school about two weeks ago. And uh, you know he he's generally a really good student, but Renee and I know that his weakest area is writing. I, he just hates writing, like just with a passion. He cannot stand writing. If I if Renee and I say, okay, here's your prompt, uh, tell us about your summer vacation. He always starts with how many sentences does it have to be? <laughs> he wants to know the very least in order to accomplish this writing assignment. And whenever he sits down to write, it's like. It drives me up the wall. I love to write. It just kind of flows for me. And then when I see him writing, it's like one word, then read the back of the cereal box. Micah, focus on what you got to do. And then two words, and then he's thinking about something else, and he's out of his chair. He just hates writing. And so this last week, um, he was telling us, I just asked him, how was your day? And he's like, it was bad. I was like, why is that? Uh, well, the teacher made us do a writing assignment and I have to bring it home because I didn't finish it. And so Renee Renee and I are just perplexed, you know. What's going on, Micah? What's the deal here? And he goes, I just can't do this. I can't do it. This is impossible for me. And this is the script he's telling himself every day. And so we sat down and said, Micah, that is a lie. And we told him the truth of the word of God. And we said, whenever you say that to yourself, we are going to memorize with you. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought, even the ones that say you can't do it, and we make it obedient to Christ. And so every time, it's not like things have changed yet, but every time he believes a script, we're trying to counteract it with the word of God. Ethan is a little bit more difficult. <clears throat> Ethan's script is after I give him a punishment, you just want to hurt me and make me feel bad. <laughs> Ethan, is that true? Yes. <laughs> Ethan, is that true? Yes. Ethan, that's not true. What is truth? Uh, he told me that once. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> But I have to sit with him and go, Ethan, mama and dada love you. Are we doing this for your good or for your bad? My (laughs) good. Your good or for your bad? My good. Joshua, I don't even want to deal with. The other day when we were at a worship service, he goes, dada, I can't worship. And I go, holy cow, (laughs) this is going to be like crazy. Anyways. It is only the power of Jesus that's going to wake us up to life, away from the lies that we're believing. We believe in Scripture that it says this, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. We recite his promises, and it brings dead places back to life. And because lies are so powerful and so deceitful, we need community. We need each other so that when we talk to one another, we can say, I think, you know, I just wanted to bring up one time, you said this, and, and I think that's a lie that we need to pray about, and we need to recite scripture together. Bring people into your life, bring people into my life that will lovingly show me because I can't see the lies I believe. And the last thing that Jesus does, he renews our vision. You know, Jesus described his kingdom like this. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. When people read this, They see reality, and they're so gripped and so moved. Have you ever, I, I wonder sometimes if I was PDs or Dr. Steve's parents, these two, one was a medical doctor, one was going to be a doctor, gave it all up so that they could be pastors, Now, that's great and all, but at some point, these two brothers were gripped by this vision and a vision similar to this that changed their lives. We all know the story of Jim Elliott. And um, for those of you who may not know, Jim Elliott and um, Nate Saint and, and a couple others were missionaries, young missionaries in the 50s, who felt God's call to bring the gospel to Indians in South America, in Ecuador. And they were wanting to bring the gospel to these Indians who had never heard of the gospel and were the most violent, savage tribe. Well, in that attempt, they died. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm doing so much injustice to the story. Uh, if you if you read about it in through the gates of splendor, it's a book, or there's a movie uh, at the edge of the spear. If you want to watch that, it describes their story. They reach the Indians. They're trying to communicate with them, and what happens? The Indians spear them, and they all die. The next day, in the Ecuadorian newspaper, the headline was "Why this waste." But what the editors of the, the newspaper didn't realize was that they were quoting scripture that the disciples said to the woman who broke the alabaster jars at Jesus' feet and spread it over his feet, and they, walk up, they got up and said, why this waste? To people who are not gripped by that vision of the kingdom of God, it just looks like a horrific waste of a life. But when you're gripped, it just so captivates you so that this morning, if you've forgotten that vision, maybe your prayer is, God, open my eyes so I can see that vision again. Renee and I just finished off our will and our last will and testament, and we did it online, and so there's a portion of our will where you can specify the details of your funeral. So I was all about that. <laughs> they, they said, are there any specific requests for the details of your funeral? And I, I love worship. And worship gives me that vision of God. And so in my will, the, that last part, I specified three songs I want sung when I die. And I wonder what it is for you that captivates you again. I love hymns because they're so deep and they captivate captivate my vision again. And I, I love hymns because the last verse usually talks about some future time with Jesus. And when I sing this, I can't even imagine... When with the ransomed in glory, that's you and me, his face I at last shall see. And I'm going to be looking at you and going, I told you, I told you it's going to be like this. Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. Our story is this. Jesus invades us when we aren't expecting and where we aren't wanting. Jesus wakes us up to life and Jesus renews our vision. And I just wonder for you, Where's your prayer? Lord, help me to see you again. Invade me in the in the mundane. Invade me when I drive to work. Invade me when I'm at work. Wake me up, God. I am believing so many lives right now that are not true. Wake me up. God, give me a vision of you that just so captivates my heart that I'm on fire again, that... This life, given for you, is no longer a waste. Renee and I have met with Pastor Dave for counseling on many, many, many occasions. In our marriage, through the ups, the good times, and through the bad times. And there was one particular time where things were really hard for she and I. We were on the way to the ministry center, and I'm thinking in my head, What is he possibly going to tell us that's going to get us through the myriad of issues that we're dealing with? What could he possibly say? There is like 40 issues on the table here. What's he going to say? So we sat down, and uh, I don't know what Renee was thinking, and I I was just like, where is he going with this? And he goes, you know what, guys? Instead of trying to work through every single issue right now, I think it'd be good for both of you to tell me why you got together in the first place. And I go, what? What does that have to do with anything right now? But the crazy thing was, after sharing our story of how we felt called to one another, not just because we were bitten by the love bug, but then after we were bitten, we both felt like, God was calling us both to do something in ministry together. And after sharing that story, and and even through all the ups and downs, it brought us to a season of marriage where it was renewed. And all those issues that we thought were so big became irrelevant. And this morning, where do you need the living word, Jesus, to break through? God give me a vision, grip me again, break through the lies that would break through my hard, cynical heart, that would free me of areas where I often sin, where I can see these kids as who you created them to be in the responsibility that you've given. Give me a vision again, God. But just like King Josiah who happened to find God in the midst of an ordinary day, the one who does all this hard work is God himself. And so we, in faith, submit ourselves to him and let him do the work. Let's pray. just going to let you talk to the Lord. And like we have been saying this whole service, that's what we need the most. And just a, briefly as a few prompts, maybe you can say, God, invade me where I'm not expecting and where I don't want you to. Wake me up to life in these places that are just so... Consumed with lies and wrong and, and evil. Give me your promises. Give me your truth. Renew my vision, God. Help me to see once again the treasure in the field that you said would cause a person who's seeing the right way to give up everything that they have and go purchase that field. God, do that for me. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.